For a little time this evening, I would like us to turn to our first reading in the book of Psalms and Psalm 139. And if I can read with you again at the beginning of the psalm and then also the last two verses. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And then at the end of the psalm, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can I, by way of introduction to this subject, which I think is a very penetrating subject, it's maybe one that we don't like to even think of very much, that God is searching our hearts continually. But you remember the Apostle Paul with regard to the Lord's Supper because of the inadequacies of the Corinthian church at that time, he had to spell out certain things with regard to the Lord's Supper. And he used the words that Jesus had used when he instituted it. But then he said this, let a man examine himself and so eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Self-examination is not something that we can do very easily at all. In fact, I'm quite sure that for most of us, we have shied away from it at times. There are many moments, of course, when we are called to the table of the Lord, when we find ourselves asking ourselves, am I fit for this? Is my heart right with God? Am I truly examining myself with regard to my relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm sure there are many of us, many a time, have been fearful of that very thing. You know, how does a person examine themselves? It's not easy at all. In fact, it's very, very difficult. For the thing is, we need to be very honest with ourselves in the light of Scripture. And that is not very easy for us as poor, wretched sinners. When we come to the table of the Lord, yes, there is a degree of relief that we have got there and we have not run away from it. It's not what God wants us to do. But what God wants us to do is to examine ourselves in the light of Holy Scripture. In our world today, amongst many professions, and I'm sure there are many you here 
can appreciate what I'm going to say here. But there is a problem that has come up for many of us. And that's the concept of reflective practice. Now, I didn't know much about reflective practice until I was involved with the chaplaincy in Rigmore. But we were all involved in it. And the more I looked at it, the more I felt, you know, this is not going far enough because it's leaving it to ourselves. We are not doing what we are supposed to do in a way that is, yes, good for those who are our employers and good for those who are the people whom we seek to help, whatever that might be in industry, in health, in education, or whatever. But reflective practice doesn't go far enough, not near far enough. Not especially when you think of what Scripture says and brings before us in this psalm. It is beautiful, and yes, it is very heart-searching. As we look down a year gone past, and we reflect on what we have done or what we have not done, what is the singular influence upon any one of us, or all of us for that matter? Surely it must be, what does God require of you and me? We know what he wants. He wants us to believe in him, to put our trust in him. That is true. But we might interpret that in a way that is maybe more suitable to ourselves and to our own circumstances. Maybe we don't want to be exposed to all the rigors of an omnipotent God or an omnipresent God. One that this psalmist certainly knew. And you know, one writer has put it this way. He said that all believers should read this psalm morning and evening as an exercise of the reflective practice that we have completed for that day. How far we have come short of the glory of God. How far we have come short of the standards that are required by us. David here is coming with an open heart. Now, I think we'd all like to be like Jonah, run away. Let's not expose ourselves to the all-seeing eye of God. Oh yes, we like to be light in this world, we want people to like us. We want to think that people, well, they appreciate us. But that doesn't do us any good. At the end of the day, it is with God that we have to deal with. And we need to appreciate what kind of God we have that David is, hearing, is experiencing here. Listen to what he says at the very beginning of the psalm. 
He says this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Never mind anybody else. The person sitting next to you, your wife, your husband, your daughters, your sons, your aunties, your uncles, anybody. They have an influence upon us and they've always had an influence upon us. But at the end of the day, that influence is going to count for nothing when it comes to what is anticipated of us by way of accepting what we are by nature and, yes, what we are by grace. Imagine it. Lord, you have searched my heart. Does that not bring you out in a sweat? When you think of the depth of which it is going and what David is really saying here, every single thing that David has ever done, God knows about it. You cannot hide away from it. God gave Jonah a commission. He was fearful. He was more afraid of man than he was of God. But he's not been the first one like that. Adam and Eve, they went and hid in the garden. Hid from God, they thought. But you cannot hide from God. None of us can. David couldn't. Nobody can. And however we think of ourselves, whatever may be our estimation of ourselves and what we want those around us to estimate of us, God knows the truth. And that can sometimes be worrying. But only if we are not understanding what repentance and faith and trust in Christ is. Looking at a psalm like this, yes, if we have no faith, if we are without Christ, if we are without hope in the world, yes, you would be fearful. And you should be fearful. If I'm speaking to anyone here this evening who is not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the way that scripture says we should be, then it's time we need to do it. Because a day will come when just like with David, you will have to say at the end of the age, when you meet with your maker, you will have to say, God, you know me through and through. But by that time, it might be too late. And I encourage anyone who is without this hope and trust in Christ to think of it for a moment or two. Because the day is coming when we are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Will we be afraid then? If we have not sheltered under the precious blood of Christ, Will we be afraid then? What assurance have I got, have any of us have got, except this, that he died for me and that he gave himself for me? 
for David here the admission that God knows everything. He knows even every word before I speak it. That seems strange, doesn't it? As he would see himself, it's too marvelous. We can't even attain to an understanding of what God is. Oh, we can learn our catechism and we can recite it, but it doesn't give us an inner perspective of who God is in relation to myself as an individual being without whom I would have nothing. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know, you know when I You know me when I sit down or when I rise up. Wherever I am, you are there. And he even goes right back to the experience of being conceived in the womb of his mother. Isn't that marvelous? Have you and I forgotten that God was involved in your conception? in your growing in your mother's womb, in the deliverance into this world. Have we forgotten that? Has it faded into the recesses of our minds? When we get older, like I feel sometimes, you, know, you forget things very, very easily. But I think it's necessary for us to keep reflecting on everything that God knows about us, what he has done for us, and the assurance that he has given us. In fact, knowing that God is always near me, as the Hill Children's Hymn goes, hearing what I say, knowing all my thoughts and deeds, all my work and play. We might think that that's a very simple statement, but it may be, but it's profound as well. Profound in this sense, that everything, every thought, every deed, maybe when we were young, if we had learned that hymn, we never thought very much about it. But as you get older, you realize that it impinges upon us in a very significant way. Knowing this God, the God of creation, the God of redemption. He has been there from day one and before it. Even in eternity, before we were ever born, before we were ever conceived. What is it that David says? Yes, he was, born, he was conceived in the womb of his mother. In iniquity. That's how he appreciated it. Maybe we don't like to think like that, but it gives us a better focus upon whom this God is, in whom we live and move and have our being. Even before a word is spoken, God knows it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain takes you up to the heights, doesn't it? 
instead of just wandering along aimlessly in this world, seeking to do what is expected of us by the church, by our family or whatever. But it's dangerous to be aimless. We need to know that God is always near me, however frightening that may be at times. And certainly, there's none of us here can say that we have not sinned or come short of the glory of God at every single turn. We all have. That's why Paul was writing to the Corinthians in the way that he was. He needed to shake them up with regard to their responsibilities and not take the exercise of religious activity in a light-handed matter. Yes, it's good for us to come to the house of God to worship him. But who are we worshiping? Yes, we can say we are worshiping the great creator, the great redeemer. We are worshiping the Holy One of Israel. And in the midst of that, we're living in a life that puts such stress and strain upon us that we cannot continue without him. Now, I don't think the psalmist has been fanciful in any way at all when he writes these words as he has done here. And we don't have time to go through the whole of the psalm at all. But there are certain features in it that I think that are good for us to dwell upon for a moment or two. Listen to what he says here. If I ascend, yes, to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. You know, this psalm could have been, we know it's written by David, but it could have been written by Jonah. When Jonah would reflect upon all that he had done by seeking to run away from God, from the commitment that God had given to him. Have we done that? Are we even at this moment in time running away from God? No, we're not, you might say, because we're sitting in the church and we're here to worship him. That in your mind and in your heart, in your everyday life, you might be running away from God. And that is what the whole story of Jonah reminds us of. We cannot run away from God. Even if Jonah went down into the hold of that ship, well, as David would say, God was there. God was there with Jonah and for Jonah. Jonah was still trying to run away from it, but he eventually succumbed and acknowledged that the God in whom he was running away from is the God in whom alone he has salvation and redemption. This God is the all-knowing God. He's the ever-present God. And I just want you to think for yourself 
Think of experiences that you have had in since the day or even before the day you came to faith in the Lord Jesus. When the stirrings, the first stirrings of faith came upon you, when the Spirit of Christ spoke to you and said to you, except you repent, you will perish. But were you still running away from him? Many's a one I know I've heard it said, who sat under the ministry of the word of God and tried to, as it were, push everything aside. They didn't want to know. They didn't want to accept what was being said. And they knew what was being said of them. That's what's beautiful about David's psalm here. And what he is saying, he is saying it from the heart. Not over-emotional, but having experienced their Lord's dealings with him. He knows exactly what he is saying. Remember what he says in Psalm 26, I think it is. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. And then he says, examine me and do me proof. That's why I say that, yes, Paul's dictum, I'm not against what he said, that a man examine himself and so eat of this bread and drink of this cup. But that examination must not be just left to ourselves. It must be an open door to the omnipresent God to reach into our hearts, to your heart and to mine. And to see there what is to be found. He says, your eyes, in verse 16, your eyes saw mine unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's complicated, isn't it? Sounds it anyway. But it's not really. Everything about you and about me has its beginning in God. And without God, nothing. God is your creator, he is my creator. And in him alone, we live, we move, and have our being. Even David's thinking, it's an interesting one. Wonder how often we spend or how much time we spend thinking about the omnipresent and the omnipotent God. Do we really think about it? Or do we pass our days and our days or our evenings, even if we read scripture as a feeling of obligation? But how much time do we give to contemplating? and reflecting. Thou art God besides whom there is none else. We might find ourselves in a great debating chamber, who knows, or having an argument with somebody over some particular religious theological point. And maybe we think that we have it all to ourselves and we know it, but we don't really at the end of the day. It's God that knows it. 
And I'm glad that is the case. I'm glad that I can't stand up and say, I know A to Z of God. I don't, I can't. But I need to keep searching. I need to keep walking by faith and not by sight. Ever looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. What the psalmist is saying here, the end of the psalm, is so relevant for us in our present day. Because nobody else is going to do it. Or maybe people will criticize you, yes, for things you have done or not done. That's true. But no one can do it in the way that God can do it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Isn't it amazing that here a man who is a sinner can expose himself wide open and say to God, try me. People talk about, Peter talks about the trial of faith, and maybe we've had moments of our trial of faith. But I wonder, have we asked God to try us? Now, the purpose of trying is not to bring us down. If you've been tried by God, the whole purpose of it is to strengthen you. By grace, you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Have there been these moments then in your time when you've asked yourself, where am I? in relation to God. Well, you say to yourself, surely, like what the psalmist is saying here, yes, his confession, search me, O God, and try me. And then he says, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He knows fine. The assurance of eternal life is not going to be about the activities of his own life, what he can do or what he can't do. It's his obedience to God. It's his love to God. It's his commitment to God. Unrivaled commitment. Can we say that each day I rise, I will be blessed? Is that what we say as with the psalmist? Each day I rise, I will be blessed. What a profound experience it is for David. And he gives us the assurance here that, you know, when you commit it all to God, everything to God, even your very existence, you can't go forward one step without him. I want to look at something of this tomorrow morning in what Jesus says in that great parable of the vine. When he says to his disciples, very pithy phrase, but how relevant. Without me, you can do nothing.
Is it not a wonder that David here, and you and I, as we sit before a thrice holy God, that he has not consumed us in his wrath and anger, but rather, as David would say, he's leading me in the way of everlasting life. Is that what he's doing for you and for me this evening? I hope so. I hope we are assured that God is with us and he is there to help us, to enable us to overcome. One little thing before I leave, and that is <coughs> appreciating the holiness of God, because that's what David is doing here in this psalm. Do we appreciate his holiness? How reverent are we toward God? The way you can test it is in exactly the same way as David has. You might think that the language that he's using here is a bit strong and maybe even sounding self-righteous, but self-righteousness has nothing to do with it. This is what he says here. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious, entry in, with, with malicious intent. And you, your enemies take your name in vain. Why I'm highlighting that point is that we live in a world and a generation where blasphemy is second rate. And maybe we do nothing about it or say nothing about it because we, as the cliche goes, we don't want to get involved. But he's a man who got involved and he was not hiding his colors. He was emblazing them. He was pleading for the support and upholding of the holiness of God in any society in which we live. It is tantamount almost to unbelief for us to ignore the responsibility that has been laid upon us in the world in which we live. If we really believe in the children's hymn, God is always near me, hearing what I say, knowing all my thoughts and deeds, all my work and play, does that more resonate with children than it does with us who are supposed to be believers in Christ? David says, does he not? He asks God to search him, search him out. Whatever weakness is there, let God deal with it. For in him we live, we move, we have our being. Shall we pray? O eternal and ever-blessed God, <clears throat>